ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. When I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. Break this show up into four quarters, lads, in our in honor of the water break. So we know that Gaelic Games is now a quarters um, game. So we're going to continue on um, in that lead. We're going to start in the first quarter with Limerick and Tipperary. Sorry about that, Paddy Stapleton. Um, <laughs> Three twenty-three to two seventeen. We'll get into analysis in a, in a minute. A convincing enough win uh, for Limerick. I want to talk about Aaron Galan's uh, soccer goal because we know he. Mm. He's attempted this on a few occasions and they've gone spectacularly wide. He showed the eyes one side and whipped it back in around the other side, completely wrong foot and Brian Hogan. As good a goal with the small ball with the foot as you were ever likely to see. Yeah, I say we had to start off with the football too, I suppose. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It was a nice finish. I think in those weather conditions, uh, I don't know, was it a case of finally he got the skill down? I think the ball still could have went anywhere. But uh, sure, it's one of those, if he kicked it and it went, you know, and he hit it right in the meat, it might have went straight at, uh, at Brian Hogan. But yeah, nicely clipped into the corner. But uh, I think he had Ron Amaher's hurling in his hand at the time. So he probably, he might have mishit it with that if he went to strike. How, how well, now, hang on a second. This is one of the best finishes I've ever seen. And you're trying to make out it was like it was a miss kick or something like that. How did he have how did he have Ronan Mars hurl in his hand? How did that happen? I saw Eddie Brennan tweeting about this. I had to look back on it to see that that's actually what happened. Um, I, I think it was like the, t- the two of them are, are kind of similar in that they both want to be kind of behind you when they're trying to catch the ball because it makes it if you're good at that skill like you know like Tommy Walsh was able to do it a lot a lot of players can do it but they're better to fend you off from the front and then catch it behind you but the problem is both wanted to do it and I think they were just kind of hands all over each other and, and one hurley dropped and the other was in the hand and and, and Ronan I suppose had no hurley went to catch it but, but missed it and then that's how I think that's how it ended up in his hand so it's just when you're playing that cat and mouse um, most good players don't want to be caught in front of their man uh, at that level because the guy who slips in behind is usually so so deadly to catch the ball and then if you catch it nobody behind you then as we saw the, the goal is open for you Right okay it is, there, there's not an element here Michael that Galan drops his hurl and holds on to, to Ronan Mars hurl No as Paddy said they were just it was very hard to see even in the replay it's only for he handed the hurl back to Ronan Mars after the goal but no look they were at each other and he obviously grabbed his hurl just before the ball landed on them but it was an impressive finish, Willie, because most forwards, when they're sprinting towards goal, it's much easier as you're sprinting towards goal to kick it 
but he was kicking it a little side foot from a standing position. We've seen him miss a few over the years, so it was all the more impressive the way he finished it. It, it definitely was, and it, it's Jesus. It's heartbreaking, really, for Tipperary, um, Paddy, because they score such a brilliant goal against the wind, and the camera pans on to Liam Sheedy. Next ball, next ball, <laughs> next ball, and what happens with the next ball? A long poke out, and Galan has it in the net before Sheedy has stopped uh, shouting, "Next ball!" I know it was just like tempting fate, but it was, it was such a, you know, <laughs> like I obviously we know the way the match went. We'll get into it, but. Like small little things during the match really, really do affect it. Like you know, against the breeze, uh, football and hurling, a goal against such a breeze and, and the wind and everything, a goal is like it's gold dust. It's absolute gold dust. And if tip, you know, if they didn't concede the goal and they were able to go tit for tat and maybe go in five, six, seven points down, yeah, you're kind of that momentum they built in the second half makes it a really, really tight game early on. But uh, that was just. You know, I think it was kind of a signal for the days. I don't think Tip played well at all. Obviously, Limerick were good. But little things that can go wrong did go wrong as well as that. Yeah. You'd have to say just before that the Morris goal was an outstanding finish. Explain to me what he did there. So he realised he was going to be hooked, did he? And just did he kind of pretend he was going for it the first time and drop it out of his hand and then whip it on it on the ground? Or did he actually get hooked? Yeah, well, I think the real the real brilliance was was the pass from Kelly. The pass, yeah. I mean, as you see, I mean... Every, that's I suppose that's what makes the great the good players really great. Uh, and like every ninety nine hurlers over hundred would have slotted it over in those conditions and been so happy to to get another pint on the board against that breeze. But he just I suppose his belief he has in himself like he has such skill like unbelievable skill. And on his last catch and I suppose the defender like if I was a corner back as well on Morris at the time, I'd have assumed he was just about to clip that over. And he kind of let Morris off a little bit in behind him. And Jamie just saw the corner of his eye, popped it in. And yeah, the finish was lovely. I mean, the cornerback, I think it was Finn was on him. You know, he caught the ball, but the cornerback was coming at him and he had to come across the cornerback. And as he threw it up, I suppose he, he sensed he might have been hooped and the keeper was kind of coming out as well. So just, just let it bounce a little flick in, I suppose. That's what makes corner forwards, natural corner forwards, you know. The likes of, a, a, you know, a converted back into a forward would have butchered that, no doubt. But that, yeah, he that pass on him um, was, he was on the run. Like that ball wasn't from his hand. He passed that office hurl full tilt, and as you said, Paddy, like he didn't look up. So as a, if you were corner back, you wouldn't be expecting that to come in. He, di- he didn't lift his head. He just he's that aware when he's on the ball. It was just a phenomenal pass in them conditions as well. So it was an unreal goal. There was a bit of a controversial moment in the second half. Well, Tipperary got a goal. Let's be honest, that wasn't. Um, mm. a goal because Noel McGrath picked the ball clean work up off the ground and I'm fairly sure he threw it then so it was two fouls two fouls to his brother like how did the referee I, I was looking at this going geez, this is pretty impressive from the referee he's not ca- he's calming everyone down he's telling captains to get away from me he's not entertaining went down spoke to the two umpires went across spoke to his linesman and says Jesus this is incredibly impressive referee and then allows the goal Michael <laughs> yeah look- when you, I suppose, when you come out, when you slide out like that, like as a defender, and then greasy, great greasy surface, a lot of the time you might get the hurl under it and pick it up as you're about on the ground. And I think that's what the ref thought happened, but like it was very obvious. And then the throw, and he had only pulled Keane Lynch prior in the game for a hand pass, which I thought it was a proper hand pass, and it should have been a goal for for Limerick. So, like two blatant fouls into one play, and it was a huge play for Tip, and it could have been awful for Limerick, but. Look, I thought it was quite obvious watching it back, but I think he just thought when he slid out that he managed to get the hurl under the ball. So, look, it was bad refereeing, but he got away with it. Yeah, he definitely got away with it. What about the Hegarty penalty, um, Paddy? You'll say there was too many steps um, taken there. I would say Cottle Barrett 
probably couldn't see the fact that Hegarty had dropped the ball. Maybe he dropped it just in time to avoid the steps, but he had lost control of the ball. Barrett didn't really know that because he was on the other the other side of him, and like yeah. he definitely rugby tackled him. Ah, yeah, I, it does. The steps to me, I think, is a new point because I think ever when he got the ball initially, Hegarty, uh, I would have said his hurley arm was being kind of dragged the whole way in to be honest a little bit right um and i think old school anyway the referees what they used to do is kind of let your steps go back to zero and kind of let you continue on but uh by the time he dropped the ball and he tackled him you know it was a penalty but like refereeing decision aside there i was really like so disappointed with that goal because tip lads had numbers around the ball and the old adage of get out the side then pick it up and then you know clear it down the field um that was for me, that's what really, really frustrates me because Hegarty just quick as a flash had it in his hand and look, you're under you're under pressure then, whatever happens. So as he was going through then and, you know, to me it was definitely a penalty anyway. Yeah, Galan spent a good bit of time um, drying his hurl. He was drying every part of the oh, hurl. Oh, I would have thought that he would just, you know, have to dry the actual grip. Maybe dry the boss a bit where it's going to strike it. Michael, he was drying up along the middle of it and the whole, well, no, maybe that was just a routine. But Anthony Daly says he didn't go for power. If that wasn't going for power, skidding off the ground, I don't know what was. Oh, D- Dalo was a, like, I swear he used to kill us at training or matches for forwards, hitting the ball high and when it was wet and skiddy like that. So it just makes sense. Like he, For me, he got loads of power. But I know what, what Anthony was saying. Just if you get a clean strike on a wet day like that and hit it into the surface, it's more than likely going to the back of the net for a penalty. So, it's the it's definitely the option to take on a wet day like that. Look, it was a great strike, and I don't think the goalie had a chance. For me, no. Hogan sold himself a little bit as well. I think he went to the left of the goal mm. and left quite, early, yeah. quite a bit of that right-hand side open, so I thought it was quite made a bit easy for Galand. But look, great strike, and when he hit into that wet surface, Woody, the ball can bounce anywhere at that pace. So, look, it was definitely the right option, but it was some pace on it as well. No, there, there definitely was. It was an absolute rocket. Come here, I want to get into a little bit of the analysis, Paddy. And the big, the big analytical point here for me is Kyle Hayes starting at wing back and and Keane Lynch starting at centre forward. Now, I've no problem Keane Lynch starting at centre forward because you know Tipperary wouldn't have necessarily planned for that, and they were planning on putting yeah. a man marker on him in midfield. And for me, that's a nice little trick. But Kyle Hayes as a wing back was definitely a bit of a weird one. Uh, the the fact. You know, the only thing that makes that weird is because he's so effective in the forward line yeah. and playing such a crappy night the other night, you know, obviously the, the conditions were terrible. Uh, but he would be known as a natural halfback from his underage days. And uh, he was an, a hugely dominating centre-back when they won their under-21 title, uh, or, or titles, I think. Um, but I suppose the other thing you have to look at is Limerick have the luxury of three horses of half forwards so I suppose in their mind they said okay we'll take away one but what we're doing is we're really shoring up our defence which possibly looked a little bit not, not suspect it's not suspect they're a great defence but they're short maybe leadership without Mike Casey and without Richie English so maybe tactically he said okay uh, we'll still be pretty strong in the forward line but we're really going to juice up our half back line there and make sure that when they, when they were in the All-Ireland even for a huge stage last year it was very hard to get back that past that half-back line. I suppose Kyle Hayes, to me, as a wing-back, you know, it'd be very, very hard man to get the, the ball by. And, of course, coming out of defence, he's very strong as well. It is a little gamble because as the year progresses, you know, the threat at Galway, uh, a team like that, they'll pose different threats. And I think Kyle Hayes, you know, maybe need to back up the field by the end of it. Was there an element of somebody could have been there for Tipperary, like a Dan McCormack, that they might have thought... 
you know, McLaughlin or somewhere, Dara Donovan would have struggled in the air against. Because the, the point I'm making, um, Paddy, is that if you put Keane Lynch centre forward, the, the, like a, a very easy switch would have Kyle Hayes in midfield and have him more in the game. Yeah, uh, maybe. But I, I think, um, I do think it's back to having dominance in the areas. Obviously, Lachlan, uh was playing wing back uh, last week, and I think it's it's probably them concentrating on themselves as much as that else. And I think to win any big match or championship, you need a dominant half backline because that's where that ball will be around for most puck outs, and it's also where you're going to launch most of your attacks. And I think like Limerick have a lovely forward line and lovely inside forward line, but without breaking out of the fence, without the way they run that ball, they wouldn't get the good ball into the likes of Mulcahy and Casey. So. I think he's just looking and saying, look, for this year, if we're missing um, the the backs that we are, that maybe we're going to have to look at it a little bit different. Uh, I do think Tip probably, look, they're probably going on what's happening in training, but I probably would have tried to have one more, uh, maybe Mullocker, if you want to call it, or, or Rock winner, Dan McCormick, or I'd say Bonner Maher was probably injured. But I think tactically, you'd nearly look at Tipperary and say they didn't get it right in terms of the personnel they needed on the pitch on the evening that it was like, yeah, maybe not. And like I mean, the the his thing was definitely a gamble, Michael. Like I mean, we saw Kylie's reaction at full time whistle. Like I mean, he was hugging Canerk, as in, "Well done, buddy." I wasn't sure about this tactical change yeah. that you were planning, but <laughs> but yeah. it definitely worked out. Yeah, absolutely, Woody. That that Limerick half back line is such a springboard for their attacks, and I definitely think Tip missed the trick in 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 that because like Declan Hannan alone was involved in three scores in the first six minutes. For in for, for Limerick, he's so good and playing that quarterback role of finding lads and he can come into contact and pass the ball and and all three of them, Beerman Burns and now Kyle Hayes, they're all excellent at it. And as you said, Dan McCormick being there would have mixed it up and brought that bit of physicality. I thought the tip half forward line pulled back out the pitch and allowed Limerick's half back line way too much time to pick out pick out players and there was nowhere near the intensity needed. I know Liam Sheedy tipped on the point after about the lack of intensity, but you can't allow them, that Limerick half-back line to set up attacks, and that's what they did over and over again. And I was so impressed with Limerick's intricate passing. Like that, the, the conditions, the weather conditions were so bad, and the small few hand passes in the middle of that pitch, and there was no, there was very little drop balls from that Limerick team, and they were popping the ball with very close quarters and taking the man on, and there was very little Tip could do. Like if you don't bring it the intensity in that middle, that middle section against that Limerick team, they're going to really hurt you. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. Even Paddy Marr was taken off. Uh, Paddy, where, can you answer me this? I've never seen Paddy Marr less in a game in all my life. Where was he even playing? Yeah, I, look, Paddy was playing around the half back line, but I suppose Tip don't want to make a suit and Paddy Marr isn't the man. But I know he was struggling. This isn't the whole. Oh, he's struggling with an injury. I think he had a bit of a, a, a little procedure on his knee. Uh, after the club championship and right. I would imagine I mean I would imagine he hasn't too much hurling played and he's a, he's a dog of a chap to train so I suppose if you're used to training hair going into these matches and I can only assume now I wouldn't ask I wouldn't you know I wouldn't pry but uh, I can only assume that you can train at a high level leading into this match so obviously he was extremely quiet I don't think he's ever been taken off due to performance with Tip again but um, the, the, the thing I'd be most disappointed with I think Tip played poorly but and you can talk about tactics and, and that, and there is an element of it. But the handling of the ball, as, as Michael said, of the Limerick lads was far superior to the tip lads, who, you know, admittedly would have good skill normally. And I wonder, like last week, they got a game under their belt. You know, that first game was there, the nerves, the, the central nervous system was worked out, you know, in a high-intense game. 
And I think going into that wet weather, they were a little bit more, you know, it was a little bit more advantageous. Um, but the other thing I, I would say that was, I wouldn't have agreed with first half was in that weather, trying to go very short out of the fence and move it through the lines. Um, I think you really have to look at the weather. Like if I turned up and saw the weather, I'd say maybe I need a Dan McCormack. You have to look and play what's out there and yeah. to try and work that ball out. I mean, we were putting ourselves under massive pressure. I'd be more of a fan of pick certain areas of the pitch, get it into it. And rugby style almost, try and keep that ball in that area and win it from there. And I think we got an awful lot of things wrong. Uh, yesterday. And maybe, you see, the week leading up to it, you know, have all these plans of playing through the lines and playing young players in different positions that they, you know, that they'd be able for. But then when you saw the night that was in it, I don't know, maybe, maybe things had to change a bit. Yeah, what what did you make, Michael? I'll throw this to the two of you. What did you make of Tipperary winning the toss and deciding to go into the wind, based on what Paddy said? They didn't have the game. Lim, Limerick did. You know, would it have been better have tried to go in at half time with something to defend rather than give Limerick that advantage? You know, to begin with. Yeah, I don't think like Liam Sheedy would have been expecting how good Limerick were that first half fully. I suppose like I would have always liked to go against the wind the first half myself and really. Yeah, like you'd go in, give a battling performance, make sure that, that you're not going in too far behind a half time, and then all the momentum should be with you in the second half with that breeze, and you've played the first half already. So I just think Limerick were awesome and just outfought them all over the pitch, and so the win didn't make one bit of a difference, you know. And I don't, I don't think either way it would have made a difference for this Limerick team. Just the way they play, they're so good at through the lines, and the weather doesn't affect them, like. You've seen the likes of John McGrath dropping balls, which I haven't seen before. He's so good. His handling is normally so good. And, and the ferocity of the Limerick forward line tackling, I think Paddy hit it in the head. The, the Lim- tip just got it all wrong. They should never be going short with weather like that. And especially when you're against that, probably the best tackling forward line in the country. And they're so hard to get past. So I just think with or without the wind wouldn't have made too much of a difference. As I said, personally, I would have always liked to have gone against the win in the first half. But again, you're not expecting that performance. And, and I think Liam Sheedy was taken, taken aback by it, you know. Yeah, I don't know how he was taken aback from it, though. Like, I mean, based on them scoring 36 points and completely, yeah. you know, this destroying clear. Like, I mean, here's Liam Sheedy, Paddy, summing it up. We were only trying to hang on to them for long periods. At the end of the day, Limerick were the better team. Overall, they outworked us, outmuscled us, and we became one-dimensional in the second half, and that's the most disappointing aspect of the game. Now, these are the All-Ireland champions you're talking about. We were only trying to hang on to them for periods, and this isn't an isolated game. This, like, It happened to a more extreme extent last year in the Gaelic rounds. Yeah, it did. Um, I think you have to face up to, as Michael said, Limerick, to me, are an awesome team. Um, yeah. And I think they were full full value for their win the other day, but I do think... Um, I think the goals conceded were fairly sloppy, in my opinion. I think, and look, that's not that's not to say Limerick weren't putting them under pressure. I think they were very, very sloppy goals, uh, and I think that those played a, a part. And even I could talk about before half time, Morris had a chance of even having a shot at goals got turned over because he dallied on it. Ball went down over the bar. That's two points. You're you're worse off going into half time. Like for the first ten minutes of the second half. Tipper all over him. It was like a reversal. Um, I don't think people see that. No, it was a complete reversal. Then Kyo was running down the wing 
and probably got caught in two minds, got turned over again, ball went back up, penalty, then you're out to nine again after getting it into probably what should be five points with 25 minutes to go. I just think, yeah, Limerick was certainly a better team um, and tip have a lot and played better and moved the ball better through the hands and even played their game plan of a man inside. But I still think tip had chances to make it a really, really close match. And uh, they, if they performed the skills of the game a little bit better, if they took the couple of scores that were on that they needed to against such a good team, I think they could have made it a lot closer. And of course, when you go far behind 15 minutes to go and you have, you know, I think Limerick physically, are a good bit, you know, more superior to Tipperary, then they were able to extend it on. They look very comfortable finishing. Yeah, they, de- they definitely did. Like, I mean, in a weird way, Tipperary played better against the wind, uh, Michael, than they did than they used the wind. Yeah, because it forces you really to find a man a bit better. You know, if it, like, even when they were going short a bit, they were giving it to a cornerback, and he, then he was going long, and it was a bit aimless at times. And uh, like, It's not like them, and... I'm saying that like Alan Flynn was on was on um Keen Lynch and like if you're a defender it's very hard to, to, to go against them little hand passes and like they like limit do so many of them and at times I was looking you're only a foot behind the, mar- the man you're marking but when you get that little hand pass in front of you and the movement is so good there's very little you can do and um I, I just I just the game plan Limerick have going in is very difficult to counteract. Um, so and, and like, I can't see many teams being able to counteract it the way they're playing at the moment. Yeah, hey, hey, just one one point there. Like every team is trying to hold back because there's such space in the forward line, yeah. but that allows them to make the intricate passes out in yeah. the field. And to yeah. me, that's where they really hurt. I prefer a team just set up on top of them and said, if we don't stop these lads in their own half back line in midfield, then we're goosed anyway. So, like, Kilkenny probably did it to a point last year and shocked them into it. And I still think Limerick are lucky to lose it. But I think it'll take that and maybe a, a very physical, fast team will be able to incorporate it. But I, I think, I was saying on last Thursday's show, Paddy, the idea that you'd let the Limerick half-forward line off after scoring about 15 from play against Clare is like the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over again. Like, I mean, the, yeah. surely like there ha- something different has to happen because holding without your whole forward line moving back into midfield and swamping it and not allowing them to do those short hand passes, letting the half-forward line off with their scoring power is madness. Yeah, and uh, I would have thought that last night was a good chance to test. test. Oh, was it Michael? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh no, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, like uh, when you when you look at it, like the the the, the Limerick half about half forward line are just so strong, and Hegarty goes right across that line, so he's not playing an either wing. He just moves across that line, and he gets on. I don't know how he gets the freedom at times. So you've seen Declan Hannon picking him out. 30 yards in that first five minutes and no one around him. And for such a big man and he's so on form, I don't know how he managed to get that space. And the same with Tom Morrissey. Tom Morrissey is so physical and loves coming into a tackle. He got two great scores in that first half and how they're allowed to move across that line and they seem to be doing it free of will and, and we've seen how good they were last week. So I just don't understand why Tip allowed them to do it. And you also have to have a word of Cheddar and Brian for going with Tip. I don't know. <laughs> right there, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they seen last week. How you'd go yeah. against this Limerick side, but I don't know. Well, I'm looking. I'm definitely looking forward to them coming into <laughs> coming on the show on Thursday. Don't worry about that. Come here. Just one while it's in my mind, uh, Paddy, is the Paddy Martin, and it's just so was the Keith Lynch thing at centre half forward. Did that mess Paddy Mar up because Flynn followed Keen Lynch and played centre back? So, like, was the natural thing for Paddy Mar then to have to do is to pick up? Donovan 
you know, cause, not, do, do, uh, like what I mean, was there a lot of confusion with Tipperary because of that tactical switch? Well, they probably got a little bit um, put off. They probably thought Keane Lynch has been playing centre field for the last couple of years, two or three years, and that why would that change? So I, I, I don't know how much I agree with even men marking around the middle. Uh, I think it's it's like a possession game. If you play a possession game in training, you can't men mark because it's too difficult. And I think men marking against Limerick around the middle is they'll use that to exploit you and pull you wherever you want. So, but I think although you kind of probably needed a bit of a sweeper against that breeze anyway. I think it wasn't it wouldn't be a bad thing if if you had with Alan Flynn back man marking there and the potty matter was sitting in. But I don't yeah. think any of our half backs really got near the ball in the first half too much. Like Brendan was quiet. Poddy was quiet um, and you'd usually see them attacking ball but I do think it's a reflection on how dominant Limerick's half back line were that they were able to come out do the three passes like the tiki tack at Barcelona and then that sets up their inside line and if you are only following your man because the other the, te- the, the Limerick team have space and time to look up then you're not going to be reading any ball you're just chasing your own tail yeah no that's it they give such good ball in they almost give such good ball in uh, Michael, that we don't see enough of Galan in the air, and he's a bloody sensation in the air. Yeah, absolutely. their movement in the full, in the full forward line is unreal, Willie. And I'd hate to be in that full back line because the, the half back Limerick's half back line are so good at picking them out, and the movement so good. As you said, the ball does it's never fifty fifty. It's low in front of them. They're so good at coming out. Like Peter Casey's hands are unreal, and and the movement from Graham Mulcahy is unreal as well. I suppose one of the most underrated players is William O'Donoghue. I thought he was phenomenal. He's an animal in the middle of the park. Yeah. Like he was bursting through tackles. And I couldn't believe when I heard that was only his second point of the champion of 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 in championship in general. Because he's so good at coming through that middle and, and getting that ball at pace. And I suppose he gives it off so much, but he took two great scores in the game the other day. And I think he's so underrated for that Limerick team as that workhorse in the middle of the park that allows Keane Lynch the freedom to pick out players. But as you said, there's so many dangers in that forward line and they can go anywhere and if it, they, you can't have man markers against the team because they just have too many too many uh, assets up there so I thought the, the movement of that full forward line is just it's probably the best at the moment in the in the country just yeah no, I know they, they almost look unbeatable at the moment Bubbles didn't look too fit uh, Paddy coming on to be fair he looked like he was carrying a bit of uh, a, a bit of weight what, I don't know whether you want to comment on that um, or, or not? Uh, Vassar, look, I, the only thing I comment is I know he had a, I know he had an injury for a long time there. I think I don't know did he play any of the club championship or did he come on for a couple of minutes here and there? But right. apparently has been struggling a long time. So ah, uh, he's he, you know yourself now he has the build that isn't, you know, it's not uh, great when you're injured if you have that type of build. So yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Look, they they can still do with him, and if he's playing well. He's still going off you something, but I don't know. I suppose they have two weeks now. They're lucky they have a bye. They can, as Liam said, they start the healing, but they have an extra week to heal, which is good. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully, he'll have something to offer anyway. How how you know Liam Sheedy uh, well? How much will have uh, been beaten again by Limerick? How like they they recovered well last year? Now they recovered well last year, but weren't overly impressive by Leash. They kind of warm back into it, and then a great performance yeah. in the final. You know how how long, how much of a setback will that be for Liam and for Tip? I think the biggest setback is the team they played, to be honest with you, uh, because, you know, we beat them in the group stages last year, but that was only a phony war, really, because they had left off a few players in Limerick. But when it came to it then in the in the Munster final, Tipperary were totally outplayed um, and overran, actually. And I suppose last night, to me, was a kind of a, let's get in here, let's perform well, 
because at the end of the year, the, the Lee McCarthy goes through Limerick, I would say, you know, as much as Tipper champions over the last couple of years, you know, the most consistent team has been Limerick. So I suppose he wanted to go in there last night and really show him because I can remember Kilkenny when they when they were beating us a couple of times in a row leading up to 0-10 um, that he really targeted that league match in 10 because it was in his own head we're not going to turn around in All-Ireland final and just beat this team we need to we need to chip away and give ourselves confidence and I suppose that's what's disappointing because look Tip, Tip can beat any team on any day but they, they probably wanted to gain a bit of confidence against Limerick yesterday and it certainly didn't happen No, no it definitely didn't Come here before we go into uh, part two Paddy um, I see you're writing a GEA children's book it's called Up in the Air you were tweeting about it um, the other day tell us a little bit about that yeah, so uh, as you, as you say, Willie, it's um, it's it's a kids' book. It's well, it's aimed at, at kids around fifth fifth class onwards. But I certainly think there's there's a lot to offer uh, kids into their teens. Um, it's you know on the surface quite a, a simple story about the main character Fitzy, and he's uh, he's really obsessed, like quite obsessed. Like a lot of kids are obsessed, and they're obsessed with different things, but certainly sports and hurling. And his dream is to win the county final with his his team Glenstown, uh, because they were beaten last year. But uh, it's an under thirteen team, so it's kind of showing how how into GA kids in all over Ireland are. And I think we have a huge obsession with it, which I love. I think it's unbelievable to have your own cultural sport uh, as such a, a focus in it. But, um, you know, I suppose, as I say, it's, it's an Irish book for Irish kids. I teach English myself. So I kind of, I'm often going through texts um, and novels with kids that are from other countries. You know, it could be an American one or an English one. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of got inspired to write it through that. And um, I think, I think, Anyone involved with GA in Ireland or any kid at all, I'd say, in Ireland would identify that's pretty authentic to life. Uh, it's set in a kind of a, a, a normal town. It could be any town in Ireland and um, has an identity of its own. So uh, there's lots in it, even going into maybe into teens. And if you're a parent or teacher reading it, I think it's, it looks at kind of resilience. It looks at peer pressure kids put in each other and also what, what adults maybe portray onto children and um I think it looks a lot of teamwork and, and empathy and stuff like that. So there's an awful lot in it. Uh, I think kids will enjoy it. I think if you're a reluctant reader, if your child is a reluctant reader, I think um, they get some enjoyment. And it's all supposed to be put around fun as well. So it's not all serious or anything like that. Um, and the characters are quite fun. So I'd hope, you know, if somebody would read it, would get something out of it. Right. Okay. And like, I mean, to, to be fair, when I looked at it, I thought it was a great idea because there's nothing really like that in the market, is there? No, I, well, I'm sure there are a few, and certainly I've seen a few, but I'm not sure for that age group. And I just thought, like, there's so much about every other sport. And um, when I was young, like, really, honestly, I, I struggled with reading. I'm an English teacher now, but I really struggled with reading when I was younger. And my parents just kept buying me Shoot magazine, Match magazine. I remember meeting, reading the Man United anthology, the whole thing. And that's what really got me interested. So as, right. as much as reading is about, diversifying and looking at other cultures and kind of learning that way i kind of have to make something attractive for kids as well and i think no more attractive than than our own life and and maybe the sport that we love ourselves right to fall in love with books and reading first and then diversify rather than be yeah that's it yeah. yeah yeah that makes sense when's it going to be released it'll be released probably under two weeks now anybody listening obviously can can go to my social media pages and the website I have a website you can buy it off very very soon so that'll be up and if you just follow me on whatever instagram or twitter or whatever uh i'll have all don't worry i'll have all the details up and you know you'll get a sneak peek into you know the printing is going on now so i'll show people and i'll, I'll you know i'll have to release that up very soon 
Okay, great stuff, Paddy. Looking forward to it. Right, we'll be back and we'll look ahead to Galloway and Wexford. So Galloway won 27, Wexford 17 points. A very convincing win for Galloway. And Davey didn't hold back um, after the game. He said, I suppose for the first time in three years and a bit I've been with Wexford, we didn't fight. We threw in the towel and that's the bottom line. I have to apologise to the Wexford people because we're not like that. We let them down today. We didn't perform and we hold our hands up because we were absolutely terrible. I'm in hurl- I'm involved in hurling to compete. I'm not involved in fucking hurling to go up there and be put up the white flag and hand Galway a game like we did tonight. It was absolutely horrendous and I'm not happy with it. Like, I mean, Michael... To be fair, in the last water break, you could see the players walking over to Davy, and Davy actually looked shell shocked, as in he didn't really know what to say to them. Yeah, I think he was looking for a few leaders to stand up with you that he shouldn't have to be the man there to to motivate you at that stage when you're when you're a few points down. But like Galway were taking points at ease without any pressure from a Wexford person, and I suppose since Davy's been there, we haven't seen that. We've seen no. they like at, at least uh, Wexford brought that intensity and ferocity in the tackle and. Like I was looking around the pitch and there was Wexford lads five, ten yards behind Galway men. And look, Galway were very impressive at the same time and you can have a bad day at the office. So I wouldn't be like too down if I was a Wexford supporter. I, I really expect them to bounce back. But um, that's Davey. I'd say that's Davey as well, using that for the next day as well. Will he just, like he'd be going in saying, that's not us and we're better than that. And he'd be using that as a motiv- motivating factor for the next day for them Wexford players. I think I think like I mean most most managers talk about work rate and everything, Paddy. But I think Wexford probably more so than any because if they're not mm. working hard around the middle, their sweeper becomes useless because Galway are sticking in lovely balls, you know, to the forwards' advantage. And because there's no pressure on the passes, the passes are perfect, and you have Foley running around chasing his tail. Now we were getting it, Willie. Bye. <laughs> the people, people say you don't know you're hurling. No, you're 100 percent right. Um, I just, yeah, it was the first time in it's a four years, uh, Fitzy is written now that it just the energy wasn't there. The oh. the leaders, those lads that carried it, like I was looking at, you know, a few of them had a few scores, Lee Chin did okay, uh, done a bit of scoring, Rory O'Connor got three points. But the people who actually moved the needle for them, uh, you know, that really carried the can, Matthew Hanlon around the middle of the field, Kevin Foley gets on the ball usually. A lot more. Dio Keefe, like I've never seen Dio Keefe as anonymous as he was the other yeah. day. Lee, yeah. Lee McGovern carries the ball, makes the decisions for the team. And yeah, we have the finishers. But those guys, um, if they're not performing, I think Wexford will always struggle because they set the tone for him. And it wasn't there the other day. Now, I don't think you can talk about this match without giving unbelievable credit to Galway. I thought they were razor sharp. And the line, they were razor sharp on the sideline, they were razor sharp on the pitch, and they are a huge problem for any team going forward. I, You know, if you're playing in All-Ireland next week, it'd be Limerick and Galway, and I'd toss a coin between them. I just was unbelievably impressed with them the other day. But Wexford, yeah, Davy will be seriously, seriously disappointed. But do not underestimate the importance of psychology. This is probably the first, one of the first matches they went in is kind of like, you know, geez, oh, I think Wexford could probably, you know, put one over on Galway here. Galway are struggling the last few years. I think they'll beat them. And, you know, 
did that did that get in anyone's head? We never saw that lack of energy before, whether it was a a preseason game or an All Ireland semi final. But it really showed up the other day, and it's probably very very confusing for for David Fitz. Yeah, I think it is. The, 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 the point that the Wexford fans are a little bit mad and that they travel in great numbers and that for Wexford to land into a pro park completely empty, Michael, like, I mean, do you think psychologically they just, what's the point in getting all over this player? There's no crowd going to cheer me on. Like, I know they wouldn't think like that because it's the same time as a championship match, but there, well, could there be something, some sort of explanation there? Yeah, look, the yellow bay, yellow bellies are crazy supporters, and they, Rex, this Wexford team definitely fades off that woolly usually. But I don't. I, this Wexford team aren't as talented as other teams. So what they rely on is that work rate and that ferocity. And when that wasn't there, which we seen for the first time, they were beaten out the gate. Like they have to bring it and they have to work harder than the other opposition all the time. And Galway were just hungrier. And as Paddy said, I think. Little expectation. They were probably slightly favourites and you could get this Galway team. And we don't know much about this Galway team because we haven't seen them throughout the league. So I think it was it's perfectly set up for them. But like, they'd have to deal with it with no crowd. And like, Davey's a great motivator. And I don't think this team lacks motivation anyway. They shouldn't need a crowd there. But I, I definitely think they played a small part in it. Just, there was nothing there to jeer them up anywhere in the pitch. And they, they, that's where you need leaders to stand up. And I don't think they had enough on the pitch. Yeah, no, no, they did. They definitely didn't. They, they were unusually flat. But like you say, Paddy, maybe the credit goes to Galway. We say they were excellent in that, like the decision to put Shane Cooney as the as the sweeper, Joe Cooney, Mark and Lee Chin at centre mm. half, centre half back. We're wondering where Finton Burke would play. He played wing back and played really, really well. Withdrawn their half forward line, leaving Concanon and Flynn inside in their own with wheel and buzzing around in front of them. Like I mean, there's not too many things you would say they got wrong. No, they didn't. And what I really liked about it is they obviously set out their stall in terms of what formation we play, but also who's going to men mark and who's kind of more going to be ball players. So as you said, Joseph Cooney, Mark Lee Chin, and even though Lee Chin still did a bit of hurling, he was, you know, he wasn't running the game, which he does a lot of the time. But Joe Cooney, Joseph Cooney stuck to his job, stuck to his job. Finton Burke was obviously told to go out there and hurl ball all around, and he was he's like a mini Paddy Paddy Maher going. I thought he was absolutely. <laughs> he is a bitch. Um, and then Parag Mannion to midfield. I was I was kind of doubting that because I, you know, everybody is such great time for him. He's dominating wing back or centre back, but he brought serious character. I thought to the middle of the field, and that's what they looked like. They had all the way up the lines. They had a person Connor Whelan was inside and Concannon. Very, very hard working. You have Joe Canning around centre forward, um, you know, with a good presence there. I thought Park Manning just brought that around the middle. The cool head, but very, very tough, very hard. And to me, they look like they're going to be a team that are going to be well motivated all year, well set up. And we know they have the talent from the last few years. So I think they are such a huge problem uh, for every other team. And look, reports on, on the management are very, very good already. Shane O'Neill and, and John Fitzgibbon, and they have done well in whatever teams they've gone to. Uh, so I think, you know, Limerick, if you're looking down the line, Limerick and Galway, a lot of hurling to be played, but they're the two front runners. If, if anything, um, Michael, they have too many options now because the two Burks aren't in there. So where, you know, like, I mean, what are you, what are you going to do in a situation where the two of those come back? Never too many options, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Uh, obviously, they can come in. Fintan, Fintan Burke was, I thought, was brilliant fullback. Like, the hand on him, and he's so strong. He seems so strong under under a ball. That's, he's, a, he's brilliant. He was brilliant. Really impressed me. Um, but the big thing for me with Galway was Joe Canning wasn't the main man. Like, they, they dominated all over the pitch. 
hammered Wexford. And that's without Joe being the superstar on the pitch that day. So I think it's going to take a bit of pressure off him and allow him to hurl a bit more as the championship goes forward and, and, and actually play a better game. So like for Galway, it was a case for a while where if Canning wasn't playing well, they weren't. And I don't think that's going to be the case this year because they've, as you said, Concanon has really come to the fore. I thought Whelan was a monster and just so strong at coming out with the ball and took some great scores from the wing. So, as you said, it's great to have these options. And you've brought, like Burke came in for Flynn. I thought Flynn was good coming coming from deep and, and attacking and got a great score running up the pitch. So, like they've loads of options. They've a strong bench, and, and they, they're not going to rely fully on Canning. So it's really looking good for 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 Galway. I think, uh, Paddy, the decision to play Connor Whelan, the position to play in him, sort of Jason Flynn and Branca Cannon are left inside, but Connor Whelan's played out in front of them because he's the ball winner. You know, yeah, well, he, like he's such a bull. Yeah, he, play, he played around the 30 metre yeah. line, I'd say. And it kind of goes back as well. That kind of sometimes can not be as devastating if you're, the rest of the team aren't playing well and they're not powering up the field at the ball as we were talking about earlier but he played around the 30 he is a nightmare he is I would say at the minute okay TJ Reid maybe the most skillful player Jamie Callan whoever but Conor Whelan would be the worst to mark in Ireland in my opinion I would absolutely hate it he's fast he's strong he's direct he can shoot and he's proven you wrong after autumn 2017 you were questioning Conor Whelan I can remember it like <laughs> yesterday but finally, finally, we're saying he's going well. But no, he's absolutely unbelievable. And look, I think you need his type in it. He's just, it's like TJ Reid, but with, you know, even more pace and power. But if he, as long as he's healthy and fit to go, um, they certainly have a huge presence in their forward line. And as I said, they're just they're a huge problem for every other team. Didn't he come back after, was it maybe the 17-year, built like an absolute monster? Was that where the transformation came? Because did, did he play kind of a wing forward when he came on the scene first, Paddy? Yeah, I think he played wing forward first. Was it in fifteen or sixteen? Oh, he's gone that far back, yeah. He's got. He was only out leaving, sort of think. And then, um, I think I think he could have one of them years anyway. But he came back. He looked like I don't know some sort of soldier that was messed <laughs> up. But he was he was unbelievable. And I, you know, he was always going to be strong. He kind of resembled a, a Bonner Maher when he first came on. He was lean. And then he came back after one of the winters and his legs were like tree trunks. So um, he's so powerful. You probably, you need to man mark him, I'd say, at this stage. You need to get maybe a powerful wing back with him. But he's such a good runner. His movement is even really good and he can take his score. So I don't know. I mean, it'd probably have to be the supply you stop doing because he's causing a lot of hassle. Yeah, he isn't, there, there's a, isn't there a value of having a fella that's always showing for the ball. Like you look at Desi Hutchinson for Waterford, we'll get to that in a while, Michael. Like you see how hard it is when players look up in the half back line and they're under pressure and there's nobody showing. And I know that even from Gaelic football, sometimes you're like, Jesus, if you just had somebody that was <laughs> that you could kind of get it to, especially when you're under a bit of pressure, like Connor Whelan is that man. Absolutely. And and you can give any ball to him, Woody, because because of his yeah. mentality, there's not many corner forwards you can say you could high or low, but he can win his own ball no matter what way it comes into him. And for a while there, I sort of agree with Woolley that he, he he was coming out and he was battling and getting on the odd ball, but he wasn't finishing much. And he went through a little lull period of, like, he'd get on a lot of ball in the game, but he'd only come, maybe come out with a point or two. But I think if he comes out and plays the way he did the other day and got four from play and, and got on loads of ball as well as that, he'd be a huge asset for Galway. And I, like, that's what you need. You need him scoring as well as coming out and winning ball all the time. But 
you're right. If you're a half back and you're under pressure and you know what side of the pitch he's on, that's where it's going because yeah, like there's not many cornerbacks with the physicality to beat him with just 50-50 ball and just the two of you in one area. So he's definitely a great man for an outball. Yeah, he'll make you look look yeah. good. We yeah, have to talk yeah. about Brian. We'll have to talk about Brian Concanon, uh, Paddy, because he's been floating mm. around the last few years, and I suppose confidence is a big thing. That O'Neill came in and says, "Look, uh, maybe he said it to him, uh, you're going to play the whole league. You're going, you know, I need you playing mm. well.'" And suddenly he's able to respond to that. What Mark Fanning was doing for the goal, I'll never know. Gave him a very mm. cheap goal. You see that in Gaelic football as well. Why goalkeepers think they can come out when a fullback? is going to challenge for it. It'll probably bounce into your hand and the next minute you come running out and it's flicked into an empty net. It makes no sense to me. But yeah. I suppose Clint Canning and Mark Fanning, I'll throw the two of them at you there. Yeah, no, I think I think Concanon really kind of proved himself. He looked good in the league. I saw him against Tipperary. Yeah. But he's not huge. What I liked is he the ball could come in high or low and he was he was ready to fight for it. Like he 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 caught a ball. I think he got a was it a free or score off down the right hand side? But he was, you know, he had every reason to lose that ball, got it, shipped the tackle and went for the score, maybe got a foul out of it. But I said, this lad is ready for it. Even that first ball that came in, yeah, it was a nice ball out in front, but it was hit like a rocket and Donahue was on his back. And Donahue seemed after 10 minutes like he was done, you know, because there was space there. But this guy was ready for the fight. Even even the goal, we'll talk about the mistake, but uh, Donahue just, there was, there was no real spare man inside. Um, for Wexford, there was one guy out out on the right hand side, but they were totally disorganised. Um, if that ball dropped, there was no one really waiting for, for the break. And Sam Dunhu hadn't a hand on Concanon when he was going for the ball, so that was that was poor defending. But I think a problem there, you know, you talk about Fanning, Mark Fanning coming out batting, it's an absolutely poor decision. But I think it was Whelan was under that initial ball. I think Whelan was uh, being marked by who's the new corner back there, um, Joe Connor was. Joe Connor, sorry, Joe Connor was on him, and I'd say if it was Liam Ryan on, if it was Liam Liam Ryan on uh, Connor Whelan, would he have actually come out? I don't know, would he? I right. think maybe he was he was wondering, he was thinking maybe he needs to go out and affect this because he hadn't the confidence in Joe Connor to stop him in the air. Either way, as you were saying, bad decision, and uh, those are the things you know, those are the things you can't be conceding because it, it took you know that took the air out of, of Wexford afterwards. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt it is. Shane Cooney, uh, another black card. Another week, another black card. Um, foul Cooney on Liam Ryan uh, this time. Of course, we can't have a black card in hurling, but we don't want the red card in hurling. We're just going to allow these fouls continue on unpunished. Michael, have I summed it up fairly well? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think there's enough of them to, to warrant a black card to go on switch league. I know we spoke about it last week, but... Like the cynicism in the game, but there is a, there is a course it's there hundred percent. But I don't think it's there enough to to warrant a black card. Like you you will see it in the game or two, but it's not happening four or five times. It might happen once once a game. But I definitely don't want to. I'd hate to see the black card come in. To be honest with you, some of the, some right. defenses are touching on red cards, but most of them for me have been a yellow. And most of the players that do it as well could easily pick up a second in that game. So. I think I think the refs are dealing with it, and look, cynicism is always going to be there. But I definitely I'd hate to see the black card come in. Yeah, okay, we're not going to get back in, no. into that a bit. I'll give you the last word, Paddy, on Ina Murphy, the goalkeeper, another new player. Um, I hadn't heard of Ina Murphy before, if I'm being honest. Uh, a bit more variation to his pokeouts. 
Yeah, no, I hadn't heard of him either, but yeah, certainly was variation, and he looks quite fit in the goals, and he's able to move around, made a good save, but yeah, definitely. But is, that I think, a dig at, is that a dig at Skettle now? <laughs> absolutely not. I think, I, think, I think I saw him do a body transformation before. And great move, but, um, no, he's, I, I think Murphy looked really, really impressive, and as you said, had variety, but I think you have to say it's unfair to the other goalkeepers because you don't know if they were actually asked to to give that variety. Usually a yeah. goalkeeper, his his puck outs are set in what the management want. And as I said, Shane O'Neill and the backroom team have shown in the past with Napiershig um, that they're very, very adept at uh, tactically. So I wouldn't be, you know, obviously Anna Murray can, can pull off the pull off the skills, but I'd say a lot of that is leading from the from the sideline. Yeah, so we've definitely an unbelievable nod, and that's a fair point with that Johnny Glynn and Joe Cooney and all these fellas. Maybe the tactics were to to drive it on, uh, drive it on long and play to those uh, strengths. It's definitely going to be a brilliant Leinster final, Galway um, against Kilkenny. We'll leave it there with Galway, and we'll come back and we'll talk about Kilkenny Dublin. So this one finished. This is a bloody crazy game. Uh, Kilkenny 3.20, Dublin 2.22. A game of two halves. The game took on a life of its own, as Brian Cody said after after the game. The usual insights we get from from Brian Cody. How do you sum this up, Michael? Like, I mean, is this an element of Kilkenny being home and host at halftime, completely, you know, thinking that this game's over and then getting caught with a rally? Or is this Dublin actually, you know, improving massively in the second half with a couple of changes and actually being a match for Kilkenny? Uh, all of the above, Willie. I think it was Dublin's attitude. They, I don't think they, they got the matchups wrong in the first half, definitely. But it was their attitude and their conviction and the tackle and the intensity. Everything rose after half time. They showed great character and a bit of pride in themselves. But there's just their matchups were so wrong in that first half. Like, if if like TJ went into that full forward line, there's only one man that should be marking him, and that's that's Owen O'Donnell. He's done a good job on him in the past, and he's physical enough to mark him and, and win high ball on him. Like James Madden is a very good hurler, but to put him on 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 TJ is just wrong because TJ's movement in that full forward line aren't very. I thought Dublin back line in general were quite naive in that first half, going for the ball not really full heartedly in, in the like tapping it down, and the Kenny were coming onto the breaks, and I don't think. They had enough intensity in the tackles or, or cleverness in that back line. They were just let TJ run amok. And like, if one man ever has to be man marked, it's that man. And I just, like, they did put a man marker on James Madden, which was just the wrong man. And especially yeah. because he went into that full forward line. I can understand if he went out half forward. I don't, I wouldn't want to drag on O'Donnell out of that space. But the second he went in full forward, I, like, there's only one man that should have been marking him. So, like, I mean, this is Maddie Kenny being very slow to do that. It was half time. Before he did, and now TJ Reid is running a muck. It was it a one-two from play at least in the first half from the really, highlights I saw. Yeah, it's about the thirty-minute mark. He puts he put on O'Donnell on him, and like uh, even even for the goal for the for Colin Fenley's goal just in the stroke of half time, Owen O'Donnell was actually out in front for the high ball. He got a little little tap off TJ, and he dropped the ball. That was the first mistake. TJ picked it up, gave it to Colin Fenley. Now at this stage, Colin Fenley was getting tackled by two men. It wasn't as if he had gone past him and was being chased down. He burst through two men, and Owen O'Donnell had got back at this stage. There were three Dublin lads around him. He ran through them and stuck it in the back of the net without a mark on him. Like Owen O'Donnell tried to tap his ankles from a distance, but yeah. there was no way in hell he should have got through the two men. And in the second no. half, it didn't happen. The Dublin backs were tackling with a hundred times more intensity, and that like that was one on one. Never mind the three on one scenario. So 
it was so disappointing how Dublin played in that first half compared to what they're capable of in the second half. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you see the Keane Lynch thing to centre-half forward, Paddy, and now we see TJ Reid, you know, teams will have planned for him as centre-forward, does centre-back follow him, you know, what do you do with TJ Reid? Now mm. he's in corner-forward, right? And and by all accounts, um, from Jackie Terrell, they went uh, they went a lot more direct. We, the last few years, we've seen Kilkenny go through the lines a lot. They put Fenley and Reid in the full forward line, go very, very direct. The question I have, should Kilkenny have held this off for a Limerick, for example, no offence to Dublin, then kind of use that up um, and have teams be potentially prepared for it? That's a, that's actually a very, very good question. <clears throat> I think maybe, even though they made the All-Ireland last year, I think Kilkenny are in a stage where they can't take any game for granted that they will get through it. And as we know, Dublin and Kilkenny have had barren stormers over the last few years. So I'd say yeah. that's probably why they did. And I think if they played Limerick in the morning, I don't necessarily think they'd feel that is... That is the tactic they're going to use. Um, so maybe they should have held it up. Maybe even if for, to hope they win that, and maybe for a Leinster final meeting against Galway. But um, but maybe. But I, I Mark T.J. Reid and Fenley in the full forward line this year, and neither neither is the only thing I can say is neither is good fun. So, um, but I can see you're talking. Keno Callan was on the field as well. I know he's probably playing centre back or out around the half back yeah, line. But yeah. two big two big guys to stop to beat Kilkenny. You have to stop Fenley. You have to stop T.J. Reid, and then you have a good chance of winning. And Keen O'Callaghan is well used to marshalling full-back, cornerback for Kula on always on one of the best players on the other team. And Owen O'Donnell is unbelievable as well. So I would have thought straight away, if I was manager, I would have thought, right, let's get our two good man markers in those lads and we'll figure out the rest as the game goes on when we've them neutralised. But um, yeah, maybe a little bit strange. But um, yeah, it's always hard when you have those two guys in the field. I know from playing them even at club, club level this year. Yeah, there, no, there's no doubt about that. The reason, Michael, I'm, I'm wondering about the Kilkenny attitude was like for the for the Ronan Hayes goal, like Kieran Wallace. I know he's only a new player, but like I mean, Christ Almighty, like that was shocking defending, and it, he was just kind of running around almost like you know, there's no comeback on here. Like Ronan Hayes had nowhere to go when he cut back in field, and he was being marked. And Kieran Wallace took kind of covered the the end line side. Yeah, it was. I was. I'd say Cody, you know, of all the scores, Cody would be fuming over that, Woolly. Like, cut a ball over the full back, in fairness, ran, and as you said, there was nowhere to go, and how easy he came inside that time and yeah. the finish. I'd say Cody was absolutely fuming over that, but more worrying, I suppose, for Cody would be once TJ was marshalled in that second half, to Kenny fell apart. Like, it's sort of like the Tony Kelly issue with Claire. If you stop TJ, is that how you beat this Kenny team? Because, like, Look, other players had scored good scores, but it was all mostly through TJ. If he wasn't scoring, he was winning the ball and handing it off. And once he was stopped, Kilkenny were stopped and Dublin got their pump up. Like So it's definitely a worrying issue for Cody looking forward that like he's going to be a marked man and he needs the other other forwards to step up and, and start to be counted for because otherwise it's going to be very easy for Kenny's opposition to, to get on top of him. Yeah, it was interesting, Paddy, Kilkenny went with the wind, hadn't a game the week before, Dublin had, um, you know, and they took the advantage and they ended up 13 points, whatever, they were 16 points up at one stage um, in the first half. Not saying, you know, it's going to be right every time. I would be, I would tend on any team I played with to always say, let's go in at half time with a lead. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a bit more like Mick, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. A, it depends on the culture thing. within the club it's, that you've from, yeah. I suppose. Well, it definitely does too, and it it depends if you're playing against a team who um, 
you need to get a good start them or if you're you know that they're they're perceived to be a lot better than you or they've beaten you well before then I'd say yeah let's take that wind let's try and get seven eight points because you're building a lead and you're also building confidence and see can we go from there but a lot of the time when it's pretty even I think I can match that team physically when you're fresh in the first half I, I, I love going out there sort of telling my team hey look lads we this is our motivation we're against the breeze we're against it all this half we're fresh let's get in their faces let's kind try to keep it to three to four points and then when it opens out second half and guys are tired we'll get the space to pop balls from from all angles so that would have been my motivation a lot but um maybe Kilkenny I suppose thought right let's let's we have TJ inside we have Colin Fennell we have the breeze let's just pepper it in as a tactic as a quite a, a limited tactic but a tactic nonetheless and it obviously worked first half yeah it definitely did what about your halfback line concern in the air uh Michael was yeah, no, it, because Kilkenny played the ball so long, Willie, it wasn't really a factor, to be honest with you, because they just bypassed Dublin's half back line and everything was going into that full forward line. And like, Dublin's right. full back line is very good and, and they they were beaten. You know, that's the, that's the worrying thing, I suppose. But um, for me, like, Maddie Kenny just got the few matchups wrong. And even like he started Liam Rush, and I didn't think Rushy was great when he came on against Leash. He didn't really have too much of an impact. So I don't know where that move came from. I know he was probably thinking similar, like I might go long and drop balls in, but he, he's not a man on form at the moment. So that was an unusual one for me. And the difference that when Trollier came in and and uh, Ronan Hayes came in made an absolute massive difference. So I just think he got the he got his team wrong at the start of the game and his matchups wrong. And it just it was a really an insurmountable lead that Kenny had, and I'm surprised they gave up 15 points. Like I don't think that's ever happened to him before in championship. So, have you have you come across Trollier, Eamon Dillon, Paddy on the field? Because to me, he looks like a certain starter. For he's a threat for with goals and points and pace. And maybe it's a bit like maybe when it's expected of him, he might not perform. Is that an issue with with him? Possibly. No, I've I've never played against him. I do think he's. I'd admire him as a player. I think uh, direct, strong. Uh, knows where the goal is, but sometimes, uh, and I look at it and. Sometimes we can be too cute and, and say to ourselves, yeah, I think this lad's doing a bit better. But he's caused a lot of teams a lot of hassle in matches. Um, and I think when you're going up against Kilkenny, you know, it's going to be a 50-50 battle. I think you need to get on the field lads who are pretty proven, uh, who've done it, who are physical, uh, who will match up to the Dublin lads. And I probably, you know, looking at Dublin and what they have at the minute, I'd probably, bear he was really stinking it up or not putting it in in training, I'd, I'd probably be starting him. Uh, but it goes back to, I suppose, teams live by this, well, who's going well in training? Yeah. Tip, I would say tip, we're guilty of the same thing last week, who's going well in training. But unfortunately, the whole panel isn't as good as a Limerick or a Kilkenny. So I think you have to really look back and what, what have these players on a championship level? Okay, if they're doing well in training, then they do well in the league. You can say, yeah, they deserve a start. But we had no league this year. And to say somebody's going well in training, I'd be yeah. trying to go my tried and trusted because you never know until, until you face that good team uh, on the Sunday. Well, it's a conundrum, really, right? Because going well in training means that the training games are brilliant and everybody feels equal and everybody is going to, you know, be putting in that effort. Mm-hmm. But obviously the flip side of that, like Paddy says, uh, Michael, is that you end up with a player who might not perform the last two years in championship matches, ripping it up in training and come and giving out to you that I'm playing really well in training when you know in your heart and soul this like can't do it when it comes down to the cross. I know. And this is where managers uh this is where managers have to be very careful because you're saying to players who have some in form, 
and then it's you're obviously in form of training you're not starting well then lads will lose interest very quickly will you if they're not training yeah. like it's as i said it's a tough conundrum for managers but for me eamon dillon has been on form and i hear he is going well in training but i think like in previous years against kenny Chollier has not performed and that's from that's from starting him and yeah he's coming in off the bench and he's on fire like like he has got that kick in the air. So I don't know if that's what Maddie Kenny intends to do or he wants to bring him in fresh and torment defences. But Crow Park is made for him because he's so fast and fit. And like, like he used to burn lads in our sprint in, in, in any races we had in training or any sprints. He's so fast on the ball. Crow Park is made for him. I think, like Paddy said, if you're looking at the pitch and who you're playing against, he could hurt that Kenny defence. And he did when he came on. But like I understand Matty Kenny, like he's getting the best out of Trolley or bringing him in. And he's actually performing better as coming on as a sub. But I think now that Eamon's confident, he has to start because he's just been too good now when he's come in and performed. So I just can't see him being left out of the panel the next day as a starter. He has to start. And what what about Mark Schulte then, uh, Michael? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. For, for me, if I'm looking at that, Donald Burke... Uh, Eamon Dillon and Mark Schulte is a full forward line I'd be looking at going Jesus do you know what I mean yeah. like again we don't know what kind of form he's in he got 10 minutes yeah like Ronan Hayes and Mark Schulte are really similar and at the moment I'd, I'd have Ronan Hayes in before Mark like Mark right. Mark's very good he come in he's a really good hurler and he's a very athletic but I think Ronan Hayes has shown more in the last last year or two to, to, to earn his position there he was, he was very poor against Leash but he showed much better now when he came on against Kenny so for me, like I don't mind having Davy Coe there because look, it didn't work out for him against Kenny, but he is he's he's fit, he gets in fellas' faces and he's very direct and he hands the ball off to the two lads either side of him. So I don't I don't really mind starting him there, but um for me I'd have Trollier, Davy Coe and uh, Ronan Hayes as that as that full forward line to start the match. Yeah. Your theory that David Kyo uh tires out his yeah. his marker and then you bring him and Dylan on. 36 minutes and say whoever he was marking wasn't yeah. too tired, but him, him, him and Dylan did, 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 the, did the business. So no. I'm, I'm, I'm still not, I'm not saying you're wrong on this still. <laughs> no, I think it was a bit early. No, uh, look, David Kyo, he just wasn't in the game, Willie. You know, he just had one of them first halves and look, he's a workhorse. He likes to get around the pitch, but just nothing landed on him and nothing stuck up there. So like himself and Rushy were both, were both taken off fairly quick and that full forward line. And I don't know if it's the full forward line course where the ball wasn't going in too much. And they're the first, they're the first casualties, casualties to come off. But um, it wasn't working up there in the forward line, and and the subs definitely made a huge impact. And I know online you're looking, and Maddie Kenny was getting an awful lot of stick for the team he started. But look, it's very hard to foresee going in half time, fifteen points down. You know, and and these lads were playing well last week and had a good win. So I think lad people are being a little tough on them, but I can definitely see two changes in that forward line anyway for the next day out. Right. Well, have you met? You presume you've met Maddie Kenny, uh, Paddy, uh, maybe through Shane and the Kula Kula matches. He always seems to, have, to me to have an awful sour <laughs> face on him because maybe it's in, in interviews after losing. I don't know what kind of a character is he. Uh, he's perfectly nice to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he must have maybe you maybe you met him after a win. Yeah, I'd probably give him a slap on the back on <laughs> those two All Irelands. But but do you know what it is? Uh, I think it just shows as well, like he's, you know, he's given it his all there with Dublin, but he had, he did very well with Kula, but they had, you know, they had a, they have a superior set of players to most club teams, you know, and he brought, the, but he did instill the mentality of winning. 
but it's difficult because Dublin, you know, have a good set of players, no doubt about it, but they're probably not the cream of the crop elite. So you're always trying to plug holes somewhere. And we're talking about matchups here. We're talking about who should be in what position, but it is difficult because you are as always battling against the tide when you don't have the players that maybe Limerick or Galway have at their disposal at the minute. Yeah, exactly right. Well, Dublin play Cork uh, next week in the qualifiers, so that was announced uh, yeah. this morning. The other qualifier is Leash and Clare. Am I right on that? Yeah. So uh, they're there next weekend. Right, lads, we'll leave it there and we'll have a look at Waterford Cork before we finish up. So as Waterford won 28, Cork won 24, Cork won their first, or Waterford won their first championship match since 2017. That might not seem a long time, but two of those years were Munster League, so there's a lot of matches. Um, well, as we have to start with this one because, like, I mean, you might say it's unfair, but they didn't cover this in the in the Sunday game last night. Is Austin Gleeson um, the incident with with Harnady? Um, is he going to have a case to answer here, Paddy? Like, I mean, the referee depends on whether the referee says he saw it and decided not to deal with it or whether he says if he says he didn't see it well then Austin Gleeson could be in trouble for a Munster final he could be in trouble and look we, it's obvious it's not a blow that that hurt that much I don't no. think uh, I, don't, I don't think his marker was down the ground you know that he had a broken rib or anything but it just it seems to be reoccurring team with Aston Gleeson like um, and he was playing fine the other day and fitting in which I think was the most important thing was fitting in but it was such a stupid incident and it wasn't as if um, he was getting actually hit or anything he had no real reason to hit out he was getting tackled I think it was Harnady was it yeah, was tackling yeah. Him. so he was just tackling him he was working him and, and, and he was doing very well so you know Gleeson let fly but then stupid flip back again as if he was after being hit yeah, a mean one himself which he completely wasn't so it seems to be you know we people in Waterford some try and make excuses for him excuses for him and some would be harsh on him but it seems that no matter what happens he's getting in trouble so it can't always be that referees are against you I think he has to have a really really hard look at himself and I don't know what it is it's real petulance it's very you know it seems very very immature and we've all had the the red the red um uh, missed the send on us but it seems to be happening too much and for too little so he could very well have something to answer and you know he pays the ultimate price of possibly missing the Munster final Yeah and he, there was incidents with him with the club again this year and then you, you, you see these things online and some people are telling you oh, he's being targeted by referees and then other people say oh he, he has no you know he, he, he's he got indiscipline problems this was definitely indiscipline uh, Michael and maybe he had a couple of wides just before that in a row and ha- yeah it, Anyways, there's no real excuse in it. Like, I mean, why did no. he do it? None of the other top players do anything like that. No, Harndy was tackling him, and as he, as Paddy said, there was no dirty belt going in. He was just Adam tackling him, uh, all fair. He's, I think he's definitely in bother, Willie, because I don't. If anyone had seen it, he would have been. He would have got a red. So I can't see how the ref could say he dealt with this situation or seen it and didn't deal with it. Um, look, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a hard strike, but it was a strike. It was a strike with a hurl, and. Um, if it goes forward, he, he will be missing for the Munster final. Look, that happened on 45 minutes, Willie, and like, Waterford, I think, were four points up at the time. Like, they would have been in serious jeopardy of losing that game because of that. And as you said, like, he did miss two scores, but he was hurling quite well and he got on a lot of balls. So there should have been no reason for frustration to have built in at that stage. And Waterford were winning and, and hurling well all around the pitch. So like, that could have quite easily lost, lost Waterford that championship match uh, just for a little bit of indiscipline, which he has been guilty of in the past. So it's something he definitely has to has to work on and get rid of, get out of his game. 
Yeah, he does. He, he definitely does. There's no doubt. But to be fair, in the positives for Waterford, it was a convincing win. To be fair, Paddy, like the one twenty-seven mm. to twenty-three points up, they conceded, which was nothing more than consolation scores at the end. So they were very, very good, Waterford. Really good, really good. And you know, I suppose Liam Cahill and Michael Bevans. Even I don't know do many people would they know who he is uh, on on this show, but he's he's a coach from Tuivar and. They're doing they're doing wonders there, and they've done the same as what they've done with the Tip Minor team, the Tip Under Twenty team, the Tip Under Twenty One, and they've won All Ireland with those teams. But they're turning them into that work rate, that real unit. I think the biggest compliment you could pay is that they're after, you know, there's a Waterford team after playing with a sweeper for how many years now, and you could nearly include Davy Fitz in that as well. And they're after completely revolutionising the way they play, and they went back to more or less uh, a straight a straight six and a straight six in their back and forward line. And to really deprogram that out of your players, I think that's been a huge result. We could see the work rate. They were never left isolated in their full back line and Corker brilliant at that. So they obviously, you know, Liam Cal has that dog mentality about him. Like he is a really, really hard taskmaster from uh, from stories you would hear. Um, and he has been with the underage teams. And I suppose the big question was, could that translate to adults, the senior level? And it obviously has, but he has the track record. And I suppose dropping the guys at the start of the year, the two big names, he was starting saying, look, come in line, come toe the line with me. We'll go somewhere or else we're being shipped out. And I think he has them. You know, they were nearly brainwashed the other day. They were working so feverishly. And I'd say to Waterford, people must be delighted. Just just the application and the way they played the other day. Yeah, he, he mentioned that. I know work rate is easy analysis, but like, I mean, that was the obvious thing, how hard they were working. And again, he come back to the point, how hard they worked made Tyke de Burke look like a complete hero altogether. He, Liam Kell mm-hmm. said work rate was one of the main pleasing aspects of it. I thought our use of the ball was very good. Then he commented on Stephen Bennett dropping deep and he played well when he dropped deep. He got on a lot of ball. But that's it. Work rate, work rate, work rate. Half forward line work rate. Make sloppy ball go in and Tyke de Burke is going to... Be man of the match pretty much sums it up, Mike. Yeah, it was Waterford with a game plan and Cork with none, Willie. Um, yeah. like, Tiger Burke was immense, but the amount of ball Cork hit down on him with no one around them like it, again, similar to Tip, to their half hour line, Cork's half hour line, which is a strong half hour line. If you look at Harnady and Lahan and Con- Connery's a young lad coming in, they all pulled out the pitch and and uh, uh, Waterford's half back line were immense, they just Stayed back, stayed back, made sure their full back line weren't too open. And Cork, if you're going to do that with your four, half forward line, you have to find them. You have to make the yeah. Warford half back line come out and follow you. And they didn't, they hardly found them, I'd say maybe four or five balls. And that, that Warford uh, half back line cleared ball after ball after ball. And we're seeing the three dominant teams of, of the weekend with Waterford, Galway, and, and Limerick. All their half back lines have all been excellent and, and clearing ball and have all been. That 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 passing the ball and it all starts in the half back line and finding men and um I just thought Cork had zero game plan and it allowed allowed Waterford to do what they really whatever they liked and you've seen Tiger Burke found Jamie Barron again and again and again and Jamie Barron is like a fourth half forward he's just so it he gets the ball and goes forward and he's so effective at going forward and either finding a man or taking the score and Cork had no answer all over the pitch and really lacked any leadership or conviction in, in anything they did. I thought they were really, really disappointing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like, I mean, I don't know what's happened to Cork, Paddy. Are they trying to change their style? Because the, for them not to use the nice little short pass to the half-forward line, draw them out like Limerick. I think Limerick kind of maybe borrowed Cork's style a little bit in the last couple of years. Cork were the masters at this. And it, like, it was like looking at a different team. Yeah, but you have to realise as well, 
we usually watch Cork doing this intricate, sorry, intricate type of play uh, during the height of the summer. Um, yeah. I think they tried to find the ball, the diagonal ball that goes into Horgan, diagonal ball uh, that goes into Cadigan. We didn't see it the other day. There were Cork lads trying to strike ball from the wings on their own half-back line and Juice making a hero out of the Burka. Um, and I don't think they were able, the weather conditions really didn't help them. And I mean, if you looked at the league over the last five, six years, have Cork performed well in it? I, I don't think they have. Um, but uh, I suppose what Mick talks about with the half-back line, um, the, the Cork forwards, why they actually all, they all actually scored all right. Like Horgan scored a few points, Kingston scored four, Harley three. But how many times did they actually turn over a Watford back? Like the, the Watford backs were never meant to feel uncomfortable with the ball with the ball. And then as a result, um, as they say, the likes of Jimmy Barron is taking the ball off the half back line and just doing what he wanted with it, spraying it into Hutchinson. And they just wor- worked them all over the field. And I think, yeah, tactics is one thing, but the Watford forwards made themselves like busy bees around the place. And they didn't let that cork backline who isn't a fantastic backline. You know, they're not brilliant ball players as of yet anyway. And they weren't able to, you know, they weren't really able to put any dominance on them. Uh, but I think to me, it's more the same from Cork. Uh, they don't have enough hunger. They don't have enough hunger to turn the ball over. They don't have a, a desperation to make it a hard game on the Watford backs. And while they're fantastic hurlers, like they're absolutely unbelievable hurlers, that game was over 10 minutes to go to. And yeah. it's, as much as they're scoring a pint from play, four pints from play, whoever's scoring, they're not making it a hard game. And it's, it's always a bit of a shootout against Cork and their backs aren't good enough to actually withstand that. I think the I think the Callum Lyons goal kind of summed that up, um, Michael. There was enough. I think it was four Cork defenders around him, three chasing him, and one kind of made a half-hearted effort, a little bit like the Kilkenny defender Wallace. You know, no conviction in wanting to stop this fellow. No, he he was immense as well. But he's he's very similar to the Burke. Like a few times had it was hard to tell which one was which, apart from the knee strap. Um, he was excellent. I see people saying the drop goal was back, but. He was so composed. He knew the hook was on. He dropped it, and it was a great finish. Um, uh, just again, yeah, Cork lacked intensity, really, all over the pitch. And I thought, I thought Callum Lyons was really, really good. He caught a ball in the first half, way out the pitch on his own forty-five. And normally, you need that bit of motion to hit the striker ball 80, 85 yards. But he struck it nearly off his back foot over the bar. And again, they Waterford found a really, really class player there. Um, or just. Cork, when he when he looked, I, I watched the game twice just to see like had they had they any game plan. And Nash tried to fight Harnady with his puck outs. If that didn't work, he was going to a cornerback, and the cornerback wasn't looking to play up the lines. He was just hitting the ball as hard as he could, and relying yeah. on the Cork forwards to win it, which they were all off pace. Really, I haven't seen haven't seen Lahan that bad. And I know he was limping around in the first half, but I haven't seen him play that poorly in a long time. And I just I don't know where this Cork team goes now, like. They're a sort of team that thrives on confidence. So I don't know what way they're going to come into this Dublin game. Like Dublin finished really strong. So I don't know what way they're going to come into the next championship match because how do you really fix all these problems in one week? It's going to be very tough for that management. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to cover Cork a little bit more on Thursday. Just to finish up with Waterford, Paddy. Now, I know you said that they're going back to a more orthodox um, formation and all that, and they have. But at the same time, there was times in that game, especially when Stephen Bennett came out, that Desi Hutchinson's left inside in his own. Mm. Like the Burka is sweeping, and the whole middle third is congested. This is just Desi, or this is just Derek McGrath with better quality ball into Desi Hutchinson, and a, and a player with better movement. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're not you're not hundred miles off the mark, but 
I think there's a little small difference. The difference to me is Dirk McGrath starts a match like that. Yeah. It's a case of we're sitting in here and that's what's going on and we're not moving. But I think if you're talking about the real good teams, and I think a lot of teams do this, uh, Limerick do this a lot, they earn the right to sit back. And earning the right means we're going to bull this game, we're going to win the 50-50 battles, we're going to drive on, we'll get our freeze, we'll put our scores on the board, and when we get five or six points ahead, you're damn right we're sitting back then, because you will have to chase the game down the field to us. What happens, the whole thing congests, because Cork needed a goal, uh, they're running out of ideas, so they started lamping it down, Tyke Borka stood there as if, as you said, as if he was a sweeper, and they were able to play the ball up into space, um, through the midfield, through Jamie Barron, through Bennett, they were to play the ball up through the lines and into Desi Hutchinson, who, as I know from experience, is quite the challenge if he gets good ball into him. Uh, so, I mean, it is a nice way of, of doing it. But look, Cork it goes back again. This Cork was, you know, this game was kind of over nearly after half time. Like, Cork didn't look in it at all. And I think that's because they lost the real physical battles. Uh, no matter what game you play, I think hurling the more the most 50-50 balls in a game is, is probably in hurling sport in the world. And they lost them, like, you know, they lost the battle, they lost the hunger, they lost everything. And I think that Cork really have to have a good look at what's going on because the freshness looks to be gone out of them. Yeah. Come here, just a final mention then on Desi Hutchinson. I forgot about that monster final um, you were playing against him in. He just never stops moving, does he? Is that his yeah. best quality? We know he's skillful, but he, he's always out in front. I think always it's not even an always movement. It's it's knowing where to move, where to leave space for yourself. Like as a cornerback, I'm marking a guy, but it's not necessarily where he's going. I'm worried about it's where he wants to go when the ball comes in. And um, look, they left a lot of space inside, which is brilliant. But a lot of players aren't good at taking advantage of that. They don't know when to move. They don't know the timing. They don't know the angle. And he certainly does. And I was really, you know, I felt a bit better about myself after the match the other day because I thought he performed quite well. And Sean Dun- Sean Dunhu is, um, oh, is a really, really good cornerback, I think. And he had it all to do against him. Now, what he did, Sean Dunhu did well in the second half, but certainly um, Desi Hutchinson will do well. But I, I do think he still depends on good ball in there. Like if Waterford are playing against a team who are animalistic, the likes of Limerick or Galway, he might find it a lot harder to perform as well, but certainly giving good ball and his movement, his touch, he's first class. Yeah, he definitely is. Come here, a shout out to Antrim, who've made an unbelievable start to the John McDonough Cup. Um, they beat they beat Westmead well last week, and now they drew with Carlo away, away. And we know how um, good Carlo are. Um, they're only down out of the Leinster Championship um, last last. Um, Last year, Darren Gleeson doing a great job with them, um, Paddy. Um, managerial material? Certainly, yeah. Yeah, definitely a player I would have played with. I suppose we've all played on panels and, and you're kind of unknown to yourself would evaluate who would make a good manager. I think Darren is certainly one of those. He, um, I suppose, first of all, I would have always thought he got on well with all the group, like not just a certain portion or clique or his own age group he would have got on great with the youngsters the older group and um, he would have been good fun but certainly when he talk, spoke in a dressing room it would have been very serious and very to the point so no, Darren you know wouldn't surprise me in the least I think he's certainly able to captivate a room when he speaks and again I suppose himself and Liam Sheedy are quite close as friends and he'd be able to lean on Liam for maybe some guidance uh, so no I think uh, Portro are certainly able to 
to produce management material, that's for sure. Yeah, they seem to be. Liam Cahill as well. Like, I mean, geez, you're exporting all your talent now, Paddy. Like, I mean, they'll, uh, they'll have to come back at some stage or, or, or the managerial pool might, might run dry. Another interesting result was Kerry hammered Westmead, um, Michael. And, you know, without having seen this game, Westmead been hammered twice now. Yeah. And I don't like, what, where is this theory that if you get up and play the good teams, it's going to develop your hurling because they actually perform pretty well in Division One A. Then beat Carlo well in the in the in the relegation match. Stayed up in the top division. You would have thought that exposure, you know, to those really good teams going back down to the Joe McDonough Cup would be a piece of piss. Yeah, absolutely. There's something going on there, Woody, because like two two nineteen to fourteen points is a trimming, you know, and they definitely wouldn't be expecting that. And they beaten well by Antrim last week as well, so. I don't know what's going on with Westmead, but you definitely be expecting them to perform a lot better in, against these teams. And um, look, it, it must be a confidence thing because they're two huge score lines they've racked up against them now in the last two weeks. So um, they're, they're going to really do some soul searching this week and look for answers because um, before they know it, they're, they're not going to have a chance in this. Like Kerry are top top of four points now and followed closely followed by Antrim, and they'll have a ding dong battle now in two weeks' time. So. Uh, look, Westmead are being left behind, and like a tough game against Carlo next, so it's definitely not going to be easy. And I, I don't know what's going on because you definitely I would expect a lot more bigger performance from from Westmead, but they, they're really struggling at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a question that I can wind Cheddar up about yeah. on Thursday. That that exposure to the big boys isn't going to help the development of the weaker counties. I leave. I, I shouldn't have thrown it at you at all, Michael. That's not your cup of tea. Oh, that's, more one. For that. <laughs> that's more one for Cheddar to get him really kind of annoyed, telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. Right, lads, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Um, great stuff. Thanks very much. We'll be back on Thursday, lads, and we'll re- we'll preview. Uh, we'll do a bit more on the Joe McDonough Cup, I think, and we'll preview the two qualifiers, and we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop, and when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.